Welcome to Women's Star, Dublin Lesbian Alliance's new podcast created to showcase the stories within the LGBTQAI community. We want you to feel included whatever way you present yourself to the world. So if you have a story you want to tell, get in touch with us at www.dublinlesbianline.ie. Today's guest is Lisa Connell, Managing Editor of Gay Community News. We spoke to Lisa at the end of 2019 about her work with GCN and the importance of queer nightlife. We began by asking Lisa to introduce herself. My name is Lisa. I am a human person who uh, works for GCN magazine, Gay Community News, and I'm the managing editor. Um, And I also run parties and events and things for the community. So um, I heard you talk on the... In all of Manal podcast, it's mm-hmm. absolutely brilliant. And thank you for the DLL and the 40th shout out, by the way. Um, and we'd love to hear kind of similar, th- like, I guess on kind of similar topics, but we really want to hear like your personal experiences, mm-hmm. um, if that's okay with you. So starting back from the beginning, um, can you tell us about growing up queer in Donegal, please? Okay. Fado, uh, fado. And <laughs> um, so I, um, I'm of a certain age that I think... It's a funny thing to say growing up queer because it's that's a very retrospective uh, descriptor because I would say I grew up straight in this weird way in that I don't think, I just do not think I had a real sense of my queerness as a child or yeah. as, a, as a teenager. It really came to me a lot later. And um, so I think I grew up feeling different um, but really didn't get to the bottom of that for a long time and didn't really, you know, thought it was about other things or different things. So it's kind of, I I often, when I was a younger queer person, I'd often envy people who had that very, you know, very clearly, oh, I knew I was gay at four, because I thought that was just so fabulous and amazing. And for me, it didn't really go like that. Um, so, you know, like... I almost wish I was more of a tomboy than I even was, um, but which is sort of silly, but that's kind of was part of my process. So I kind of came to my queerness in my late teens and early 20s. I came out at the age of tw- nearly, I was nearly 21 when I came out. So yeah, it took me a little bit, a bit, a bit of time. And I think part of that was because I did not think you could be gay. I didn't have any, I didn't know any gay people. It didn't really register in a, in a, in a way that felt accessible or, you know, mm. uh, visible even. And so when I was in college, I did a, a theater degree. So there were a high, well. <laughs> a high density of, um, of, uh, non straight people. Um, and I was often mistaken, uh, for a queer person. And I had a, I was in a, uh, an opposite sex relationship at the time. And I used to be so hilariously offended when people would think I was gay. I'd be like, How dare you? I have a boyfriend. I mean, <laughs> who was I fooling? <laughs> um, but yeah, so then, uh, at 20, I met, uh, somebody and fell madly in love and she was my first girlfriend my first love and then sort of from there there were a lot of like 
retrospective aha oh yes you know then and it's interesting because I think sometimes for for some queer folk you kind of revisit the past and and then learn more about it kind of with hindsight absolutely um so yeah so that was sort of how it kind of happened thank you I definitely think that's the case for a lot of us that there was a different feeling um but there wasn't any like visibility or representation so it was like what couldn't quite place what that different feeling was until you go out into the world and meet other people or fall for some then you're like oh yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what that was mm-hmm. um and how did you end up in Dublin so I uh after I did my uh degree in the University of Ulster at Coleraine um and then I lived so I I'm from Donegal and feel I was actually say explaining this recently um, I feel that uh, Donegal people are very much, uh, we feel very close to Northern Ireland because obviously we're literally in it. But also I think we sort of feel quite, you know, I grew up just ar- across the border from Derry. Um, and so when I finished college, um, my natural first step then was to live in Belfast, which I did w- uh, for a few years. And then I decided to move to Dublin with my first girlfriend um, a couple of years after we lived uh, in Belfast together because we were wanted to sort of move somewhere but kind of couldn't decide on where so Dublin was sort of supposed to be the stepping stone and it ended up being the, the final destination and so uh, we moved here at the height of the boom and it was kind of hilarious and ridiculous and like Belfast is a relatively affordable city to live in like the living standards and the sort of cost mm. of living would be pretty reasonable I think I mean I, I know it's changed now but at that time particularly and so when we moved to Dublin I was completely I couldn't it was bonkers like rental I mean actually hilariously we're cut to today and you know we've gone back to that place mm. um so yeah so and actually when I moved here I didn't particularly warm to it to start with I didn't really I was kind of I had a I was holding a candle for Northern Ireland still and so it took me actually what happened the reason I ended up staying I was really close to moving back to Belfast um, but I got involved in gay rights activism and that sort of ignited my love of the city through the people and through our community. So that's, I, I'm, I credit my, um, my early days with LGBT noise as my, they really bonded me to the city. That's amazing. Thank you. So from then to now, congratulations on becoming managing editor, editor of GCN. Um, would you tell us please about how you got to this point? Yeah, um, so I have been working with GCN for a decade. And so at the start, um, and for many years, I worked uh, part-time and I was looking after distribution. And at the same time that I was doing that, I was also doing a lot of activism. So it really suited me to have, you know, a part-time gig. And, you know, I was also working in coffee shops or working Mm -hmm. in bars um, but I I enjoyed just the being part of the community magazine and sort of feeling like I was contributing to something. And then um, I kind of 
you know that thing of when you're juggling lots of jobs and so I sort of said to the to the guys I was like you know is there more work going and so uh my previous colleague um Connor Wilson uh said okay well let's get you selling some ads and you could pay for the rest of your time of the week or whatever so then I started selling ads and then it just sort of really uh, I just stayed around and kept learning more skills and doing more projects and tasks and GCN is um, a really wonderful place to work in that um, it's small enough that you can kind of get your hands dirty in all the different departments, which is really exciting if you're someone like me who wants to know how everything works and how things are done. And so I think my natural curiosity really allowed me to keep growing in this job because I was always wanting, okay, how do you, how do you run that event? And how would you do the ticketing for that? And you know, and of course, in the community, you're doing a lot of stuff on a shoestring or with no budget at all. So it you need people that are into that are nosy enough and kind of busy enough to sort of uh, sustain um, that that energy. And um, so, yeah, so I, I just, you know, and GCN has had really over uh, last year, we celebrated 30 years in publishing and, you know, it's had many wonderful uh, editors and commercial managers and every like loads of brilliant brilliant people have come through the place um, across the last 30 years and I feel very indebted and I feel that it are the fact that we're still here and we're still thriving is a testament to hundreds of people and like all the board members who would have run it across loads of different time periods um, and then, yeah, so last, uh, so I became the commercial manager two years ago um, and I did that for about a year. And then um, the outgoing managing editor, Brian, uh, was leaving. And so there was the opportunity to apply for his job. And I thought, well, I've, you know, I, I've come this far. So I applied for the job and I got the job, which is very exciting. Um, and now I work with a really awesome small team, actually. Uh, it's always funny people are really surprised by how few of us there are because we I feel like we do a lot for our 40 hours a week and um, but yeah we're we're really excited and committed and we're we're all a bunch of people that have a similar we really share a drive and a passion and an energy and that's really helpful um, in fact, I, I sort of I shouldn't really joke, but I have to. The problem with this team is getting them to stop working. So it's it's a real thing where we're all very committed and I just want everyone to mind themselves as well because yeah. <laughs> I don't want people burning out. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, I mean, it's a dream job. It's a wonderful thing to be able to be serving the community in such a, a, um, a kind of a tangible way because there's a, physical product every month in the magazine and there's a physical product every day in the website and then we do events you know every every quarter if not more mm -hmm. so there's you know it, there's a really the the kind of um rewards are very rich in terms of that Absolutely. I think DLL can really relate to a lot of what you said there about doing things on a shoestring, but also about passion and drive and not burning out. Mm -hmm. um, because especially when I think you mentioned the other podcast, but there's excitement ideas and there's also a never ending list mm -hmm. of things to try and achieve. Um, and on that, now that you are managing editor, um, what's your priority for GCN? Um, so 
I, uh, ooh. I mean, there are lots of things. We are, uh, we've just, you know, we're nearly at the end of 2019 and we've spent all year really reaching out to the community and trying every issue to really get to grips with what's going on for people and also really trying to showcase the rich diversity and difference and kind of amazing mix of types of people that are in the community and um, because you know at various points through time the magazine went through stages of feeling more of one thing than another or less of that and we the current kind of team are very um very committed and and interested in the idea of having the most diverse uh, mm. representation and visibility of the community and really talking to you know all all parts of the community about the other parts of the community because you know wanting people to understand like trans folk uh like having the rest of the community understand what's going on in tr- with trans healthcare or having uh younger queer people understand what it might feel like to be a 60 something year old uh queer person so just that sort of because i think the the sharing amongst within the community is really important and we can when we know about one another we can have one another's backs um, and then beyond that obviously is just uh, there's a, a, a an ever-pressing priority to keep it keep it afloat keep the money coming in you know working to make it sustainable business as well because there's often you know it can be a bit of a hustle at times and so one goal that I've sort of set for us and and we're getting there is to really just keep it place it uh, in an appropriate part of the Irish market so that it it has a sort of a place and a sustainable place and um, you know Thank you. That was actually another question about, you know, I, I think it's so phenomenal that GCN has always been free and still is. How do you manage that? Well, um, we, so it it's absolutely fundamental that GCN remains as a free product. Mm-hmm. Like it couldn't, it there isn't, um, you know, unless the community vastly changed its ask of us there's no way we would ever change that that you know it's so important that it's a free community resource and you know the way people access information has changed but there is still a massive need for the magazine and we we believe for the print edition as well as I mean we've been growing our digital uh, offering and reach but that is not in my opinion or it is not the idea it's not to replace it's to complement um, because you know there are people who are not online and there are people who are in a rural setting who might their access point might be their local resource center or their mm-hmm. library um, and so the I mean we get you know we're a, pr- a pretty creative bunch so uh, we have a part uh, of our funding comes from the government so we are pubble funded mm-hmm. Um, a big old chunk of our funding comes from Mother, um, which is a weekly uh, nightclub with bigger kind of seasonal parties. And that's really, I mean, that's my job as managing editor is to run the business. But I'm also, Cormac and I run Mother together. And it's very much, it's a really important strand in GCN's mm-hmm. um 
kind of, uh, well, it helps us run, you know. Um, and then obviously just other GCN events. So, you know, all the stuff that happens regularly in the community. So quizzes, we do panel events, working with brands to really raise funds. Um, and that's a really interesting model to me because I try, I, I feel it's very important that all our events remain accessible. So that's, uh, that's important because I don't want someone to be priced out of a conversation. And so we, we work with, different companies and brands in order so that they can cover the big costs so that the the kind of uh, LGBT person who might want to come isn't kind of you know priced out of it or whatever that's brilliant um I love that you're anticipating all of my questions before I get to them as well because (laughs) I was gonna ask you so with the like GCN has an incredible online presence and it's made um organizations like Dublin Lesbian Line that are often well not now that we have a comms team but before that doing things quite last minute um and maybe not get knowing things in advance of the deadlines for the print magazine to be able to email and somebody and a journalist will say yeah sure we'll put it online to online today mm. like that's been great for DLL but I was going to ask you about um yeah how important keeping the print magazine is for you and what like what it means what it means to you yeah um, so I want actually interestingly about the digital um, stuff is that I love one of the things that I that you know the limitation of a monthly cycle is that there will always be stuff that is either it's too far beyond so say you know you guys have an event but then it's a full month after the event so it kind of is a bit funny to put it in the magazine and so the website is so great and the social media is so great because it allows us to cover community stuff in real time or right before or just after and it's great because it just allows the other thing I would say is because we are a news site also you know we tend to like be reporting on some tough stuff like it's you know LGBT news can be overwhelmingly bad news as you know the news can be in general so what the thing we love in here as well is actually we love working with the community groups to get positive stuff out there the events that are happening meetups that are happening you know that's so important um and and in terms of the print publication I know I sort of said it already but for me personally beyond kind of the the mission of the magazine GCN um, I think if you're if you're over a certain age, particularly GCN had a very specific role to play in your LGBT life. Um, you know, I certainly remember when I moved to Dublin first, I would go to the IFI religiously every month when I knew it was out, pick it up, you know, and, and just because obviously we didn't all have phones um, and we didn't all have internet. And so you really did rely on the print product. Obviously, that has now changed quite dramatically, but there is still, um, I I do, I love the idea that at any moment in the city, someone can kind of dip into our world. And okay, it's not exhaustive, but it, it is giving someone a sense of what is happening for LGBT people in on this island right now at this moment. Mm. And so there's a, even beyond the sort of, uh, kind of information and resourcing there's also uh, uh, the documentation so so that we're actually you know because uh, Tony 
Walsh, who's one of the co-founders of TCN, along with Catherine Glendon, speaks a lot about the fact um, that one of the, the sort of drive drivers to get the thing set up in the first place was the fact that mainstream media wouldn't cover anything to do with LGBT life or struggles or, you know, any of the, mm-hmm. the great activism that was happening. So it was really a way for, for, for the community to take its story into its own hands. And I still think that has a lot of power and relevance and resonance um, because those stories are still important. Absolutely. And I think the, the physical magazine, it, it, it serves so many purposes, not just for people who can't access things online. Like it's really nice to walk into somewhere that you don't expect to see GCN. I think it's a great signifier mm. that the place is welcoming and, ex- and accepting. And, you know, I know for a lot of people that aren't necessarily out yet, um, going and picking up a physical copy of GCN, it's their kind of queer thing to do mm. for the month. And yeah. my God, I remember um, I, I've collected loads of them from like important times in Ireland and important times in my life. And I remember when I wasn't out and I kind of, the pride parade was going on and I was working in the shoe shop and I ran down the road and like got a copy of GCN and I still have that first GS GCN from my first secret pride. Like, I think it's really important. It's something really special. Mm. Um, and on special and important things, mm-hmm. um, were you going to say something? Please? I actually was. Um, so we did on our arts issue a couple of months ago, um, we did a cover with Soak, the musician, who's also an amazing illustrator. And we did, um, the cover was The North is Next, and it was about um, North, kind of allyship and support of um, our queer and uh, also people who can get pregnant in Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. So it was a sort of a cross-border um, project that we did with Outburst Arts and Dublin Fringe. And one of the proudest, most amazing things, well, there were two things. The event, we actually created a, a special uh, zine, which felt really, there was sort of a nice, um, the tactile nature of actually creating a physical product that people went to a space to, to, to get was really special and important. Um, because it marked it, just as you're saying. But also, uh, my pal uh, lives in Berlin, and she sent me a photo from a, basically the doorway of a, a block of flats, and someone had put the GCN, like the full magazine, they'd pasted it up Whoa. onto the front door. And I just thought, I was completely delighted and blown away and just so excited that there, you know, the relevance of that physical artifact for want of a better term still it's still as you say it's a signifier it tells something it it signals something and it just made me so happy I was like beside myself with joy that's amazing yeah it was really fun and also I think with something like a physical magazine like someone can walk past that and read it and be brought into a world that maybe that wasn't on their radar mm. radar they weren't thinking of like I think with the website which is fantastic a lot of the time people are going to it specifically but with the magazine if you're in a cafe and you just pick it up in a queue like you might get introduced to something that mm-hmm. you didn't know you were looking for yeah <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> Um, that's incredible. Yeah. Um. So you said at the start that you organised. I love. I hope I get this right. Parties for the community. Um. <laughs> yeah. I love that, and I've been to many of those parties, <laughs> um, and they're fantastic. What is it about like queer nightlife that draws you in, or that you're passionate about? So I mean, I think that um I have to claim my bias that I just think um LGBT folk are more fun. 
Um, so, um, no, I mean, I suppose queer spaces are, I think, are still very relevant and important and necessary. And yes, we do know how to put on a good party and that's always helpful um, because, you know, going back across many decades, uh, the kind of cool music thing will start in the gay clubs and then kind of filter right into into wider culture. Um, and I, I think that's still the case. Um, and yeah, I mean, we when mother when we set mother up, um, it was in a time of, you know, uh, the recession had hit really intensely and actually GCN was in a really really rocky place because um the bottom fell out of the advertising market Mm -hmm. and so suddenly the all the lovely shiny ads that would have been in the mag were not there because people's marketing budgets were just slashed Mm -hmm. um and so we had to kind of it was you know part necessity but also part a desire to kind of gather people together and say okay what you know what can we always do and what we can always do is find one another and hang out and party and dance and I love dancing and I always have and I think it is it is such a powerful positive force in our lives Mm. and I do I've said this before that for LGBT people particularly even if you're not well especially if you are an activist but even if you're not an activist sometimes just being an LGBT person in the world is your activism. Mm -hmm. And so there is, there's the letting off steam that happens in particularly a queer space that is really important because as you said earlier, it's, if you do community work, you can get fatigued. Like it can be draining. It can be sometimes thankless. It can be, you know, tiring and you don't know, okay, how can I, oh, I can't do this or I can't do that or I've done too much already. But for me anyway, there's something very rejuvenating and recharging about going in, going in, having a bop, seeing your pals, having a laugh and, and then, you know, often feeling kind of, even if you're tired, even if you're hungover, um, just feeling, oh, that was a great night. And and those are really important because I think those can fill the tank back up again because um, particularly, I mean, now, obviously, because I run the parties, <laughs> it's kind of important that they go well for other reasons because I, you know, I want them to to, to, to be a success. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it just, it, it gives me a lot of joy. To, to see it, to, to feel it, and to actually just be with your people. Go, these are my, this, these are my people. Absolutely. It's so rejuvenating. It's such a, like, a powerful energy. Um, I often don't make it to nights out, I think, because I work so much in the community and volunteer so much that I'm just like at my limit. Um, I just want to go home. And I was working on Pride and um, like work working. And then Katrina had a ticket for me for Mother. And it was just like, I was so tired. Like, but we danced to the very last song. We were like, we're not leaving. And I was just standing, like, at one point, just barely, barely moving. But it was just, it felt so important to be out and mm. stay out and be there on Pride, like, at our party. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, was, it was a great night. Um, yeah. And I wasn't drinking or anything that day. I was just like, Ooh. Um Oh, I mean, that's another, dear listener, <laughs> super, super party hack is to say, to stay sober. I'm telling you, it is, the way of the future um because i find as i've gotten older i actually find alcohol tires me more than mm. 
if I was just there with a little can of, can of soda pop or a sparkling water. So yeah, I, I'm all about the sober party. And I think people sometimes think that they can't go out in queer spaces if they don't drink or they don't do drugs. But I you know our spaces are there for us. So whatever you do, I, I would feel that Mother is a welcoming place. If you're yeah, and I mean, you know, the, ser- the serious sort of side to that is that obviously we are as a community more vulnerable to, you know, being disproportionately affected by mm. addiction. And so, you know, there is a part of that where I feel absolutely a lot of people feel well I can't go out unless I'm going to get wrecked and actually I hope that that is that people are moving beyond that and understanding actually no no I can do this a different way or I can access it a a better way a different way and and people you know minding themselves because Irish people in general are terrible for what what's wrong with you are you pregnant are you are you sick you know, that kind of silly nonsense. I mean, I hope it's changing um, because I do think people need to mind themselves. Mm. And, and I think, you know, I, um, I'm i often sober and I at parties because I'm working. So it would be not cute for me to be drunk. <laughs> um, but but I, it does not, uh, it does not diminish my ability to enjoy in fact, I would argue that it has increased my capacity for enjoyment and, and to kind of get the buzz out of it. I agree with you. I do think things are changing on that front. I know the last few years has been such a demand for like nighttime spaces that don't have alcohol in them. But I know that then there's people that don't drink that still want to be out in mm. dancing spaces. And you now it is possible to still go out even if other people are drinking. And to yeah, I mean, it's. I, I find it really interesting at the moment. There's a whole ex- explosion of non-alcoholic mm. beers as a thing on the market because like me and a couple of pals always do um we call it november so you don't drink in november um and if like say even a few years ago when we started it like your options were obviously to have water or you'd be drinking like sugar which you know is fun i mean i love a coca-cola but like you can't have five coca-colas or your teeth just all fall out um so it's really interesting the non-alcoholic beer i feel is really good and interesting development because it will allow people to feel that they are accessing something but actually they're not you know mm. so I'm, I'm really glad that's now a thing because I, I see more and more people kind of having that and also it means that you can you know you could drive in or then you could like get up the next day and and whatever so it's good and also just for people minding themselves because you know uh the old the old uh drinking drugs are not great for your mental health so mm-hmm. yeah and um, what about love sensation? Um, how did that come about? Did you enjoy it? Are you going to do it again? Okay, so love sensation um, was came about because of kind of because of pride. So pride um, as a party was growing and growing, and and we were super excited, and and it was just this suddenly this massive thing. It kept kind of getting bigger every year. And we were doing, at the same time that the Pride Party was growing, we were being asked to go to different music festivals. So we would do a stage at Body and Soul or we would do something at Electro Picnic and loads of other lovely um, festivals. And we kind of, I mean, obviously it's it's quite a dream. Like that would be a big dream of like, oh, we could do our own thing. But it's obviously a massive undertaking. And so 
it didn't feel like something that until this year it wasn't really something we felt that we had the capacity uh, to actually do mm. um and then but then we had conversations with people who work in the industry and we teamed up with MCD as our booking partner and mm-hmm. um, because they are the people who help you get all the you know the big acts and 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 they would also have a good sense of because they do so many other festivals and so um it kind of grew from there and then suddenly it went from being a sort of a theoretical idea into a real life thing which was both exhilarating and terrifying um, and Cormac and I worked a lot on it um Cormac very much taking the lead on it um and then uh, it just went super well I was really proud of it I thought it was wonderful and actually to speak back to what we were saying about the queer space and the loveliness of kind of being with your with your peeps that was like super extra bonus you know uh queer space vibes um, and it felt really exciting that we were suddenly just taking over this massive um, space, literal, physical, massive green site yeah. festival space and really making it feel our own and making, you know, we we put a lot of time and effort into making sure the bathrooms weren't gendered and we made sure that the queuing system wasn't gendered and you know we briefed people on like briefed security on you know this is a diverse uh, crowd and you've got to just be really chill and if you see something that you are not used to then please don't laugh and you know just really kind of thinking about what it is to be a queer person in a space and thinking about how we could make sure that there weren't those kind of very pedestrian but often very upsetting encounters that just feel crap, you know, and would really kind of just maybe just kind of bring your day down a little bit. Definitely. And like, let's be real, it's not that people try, it's not that people mean to do that, it's that we get so uh, particularly, and I can speak to this as someone who runs an event, people are very they get very like panicky because it's all crowd control stuff. Mm. So, you know, security are often gruff with people because they've been told to do a job and I must not let anyone pass this. Or if you look like you might be a female person, I can't let you in Mm. this space or vice versa. And actually it's not that they want to be transphobic or problematic. It's that they are, you know, burdened by this, worry that they you know they have to do the right thing or whatever in terms of the rules Mm. so really uh we we sort of were like let's scratch all that this is how this is gonna go and it actually was beautiful and lovely and chill and there was no trouble and there was no like there was literally no thank thankfully no bad incidents no you know no drama um, and then we had super exciting and fun acts and there were three stages and there was a fun fair and there was a queer quarter, um, which was full of deadly people from the community doing deadly things. Um, and yes, we're doing it again. Um, t- like, can't tell you anything <laughs> yet, but like, yes, in, in the works. And, and also, you know, going back to like, okay, what worked, what didn't work, what can we make better? Um, and and really going again, so it's exciting. Congratulations! It's amazing. The first year was such a success. 
Um, yeah, I mean, it was like, it's, it's wild. It's, you know, Cormac and I, about an hour before the gates opened on the Saturday, we walked, we were doing a security check um, and we were walking through the site and just looking at one another going, what on earth are we doing? <laughs> and, and I was kind of kidding. I was like, will we just, can we just leave now? Just like, wait. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, obviously it was amazing. It was such a buzz then. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a sort of a mad, mad old game. Um, but it's really fun. And it just, it also, I mean, Ireland is already super we have a lot of festivals already like there's it's a very um it's it's i would say nearly a fully saturated market in fact when you try and book dates or or you know thinking about when to have things there's so much stuff on but i suppose one thing that was really exciting for us with love sensation is that even though it is very busy we were offering enough of a different thing that people were into it so that's kind of fun and also just even fun stuff like festivals historically have had a really big problem with um even balancing gender on their lineups and by me not even it's not that it's a coincidence because obviously we have a an approach to how we book but we tend to actually have 50 percent or more female um although i get that the binary approach is also mm-hmm. becoming you know uh, we're moving beyond that or, or at least challenging it more but uh yeah so even just that around like the way who who we're curating to to play who we're inviting to come and come and perform is is that's also really fun because that's where you get a chance to to kind of showcase talent and and give people opportunities so that's incredible and I love all the thought that went into you said not having gender cues and things because I know so many trans people and non-binary people or people that present or feel differently to how they present um that really you know, cues 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 going into things that stress them out so much and, and can be a barrier to going to something mm-hmm. um like a real block like not wanting to be told you're in the wrong queue or to be patted down and being like what's you know yeah. someone find it or if they're wearing like a strap on or something to not have that being like wait what's in there yeah um so to have that awareness and know you're going into a space where it's not going to be gendered um i'd say even that would really inspire people to go mm-hmm. um just get past that first block oh going 100%, in you, because you know? we we know as well from you know it's not fun and it's and it's really difficult because again um not that i'm trying to because obviously people can be homophobic and transphobic mm. but it's it's often not even it's something that maybe a security person might think is a relatively innocuous or they think they're just doing their job they don't really get or understand that they've just really really triggered or upset mm. that person for probably the day mm-hmm. um and yeah exactly that sort of uh kind of bizarre and violating feeling of being kind of yeah figured figured out yeah. you know um so yeah no we 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 were very we had very strong ideas about how that should feel for people. Um, and I'm really glad to say that the security were all brilliant. See, that's the thing. I think it's, I think it is often just a, you have to set the culture and explain this is how this is going to be. You're the, and you know, we're really lucky. The crowd are, our, our customers, um, the people who come and party with us are awesome. Like, so that's the other part. Like there's no need, you know, the kind of heavy-handed security vibe is not really needed with mm. with our events anyway because people 
are signed and they're yeah. they're not gonna you know they're not whereas sometimes I think poor security folk have a, a tough time when crowds are you yeah. know maybe trying to be bratty or you know or, or aggro so we're lucky yeah I love what you said like set the culture especially mm. seeing as you've said that from the very start like it's harder to change it once it's in whereas if you start off a certain way mm-hmm. like, that's fantastic yeah and everyone knows going for it then like it, there's a reputation of the festival then that it's yeah. a certain way that's brilliant um so because this is with dll um the podcast is for people to feel supported or inspired or something like that so as a human person or even as managing editor of GCN, do you have any words of support or anything for anybody that might be listening that is feeling a bit lost? Oh, um, well, my experience tells me that people tend to be really hard on themselves. And I, I wonder if we could all be slightly nicer to ourselves, if that might not make quite a big difference. Because I think often, you know, the biggest critic and your biggest enemy can sometimes be that kind of critical voice in your head. Um, I'm not suggesting it's the only thing, of course, that obviously there's lots of other challenges and external forces. But I think... Um, there's something and I'm you know I'm it's a slow process for me I'm I'm you know a person of a certain age and it's it's a work in progress um but yeah to try and go easy on yourself and if you're struggling um talk to your pals um or keep a journal if you're not there with talking or call of course call the helpline I I was getting there Laura Louise there's an exhaustive list sorry um no of course absolutely like the 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 reaching out and talking to folk is 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 absolutely you know I I there's nothing there's no problem ever so big that when you've talked it out a little bit that you can't sort of at least figure out a, a way to to even kind of what is a, a potential next step and I do I must say like I, I I'm so I'm so proud of you guys I think it's amazing I, I I really think what the line does is so brilliant and special and important and the fact that you guys have been around you know it's it's astounding to me that it's been 40 years and counting and I'm really I'm really happy and proud that our our community has that resource because it's important the creators of this podcast are Dublin Lesbian Lions, Laura Louise Condell and Katrina Murphy, and we would like to thank Lisa for speaking to us for this episode. Dublin Lesbian Line is a confidential support service for the LGBTQAI plus community. And if you've been affected by anything in this podcast, you can reach us at 018729911 or contact us on our online chat service at www.dublinlesbianline.ie. DLL is run by volunteers and relies heavily on voluntary contributions, so we would greatly appreciate any financial support you can offer. Whether it's €2 or €100, it makes a huge difference to a small organisation like ours. Thank you for listening and take care.